You're listening to Small But Mighty, the podcast of the Small Nonprofits Alliance, the online hub for Australia's small charities. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Small But Mighty, the podcast for nonprofits. My name is Kirsty Wallet, and I'm co-founder at the Small Nonprofits Alliance, and I'm here with Bianca, our Alliance founder and CEO. Hi, Bianca. Hey, Kirsty. Today's episode is our very first episode of Nonprofit Mythbusters. Today, we're going to be busting four commonly held marketing and fundraising myths from the nonprofit sector. But before we get into it, I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners on the land on which we meet today. I would also like to pay my respects to elders past and present. So Bianca, you're going to start off with our first myth today. What's myth number one? Myth number one is that charities can't spend money on fundraising and administration. Oh, this is a big one. (laughs) And this is a big one, and I feel like you could probably have an entire episode on this itself. But in a snapshot, really, it's such a misunderstood topic amongst, I think, probably the wider community, perhaps not so much within the sector, but it's with our donors and our supporters, As we all know, working in the space, charities need to spend money, just as any business does, and charities are, in effect, a business. We are social purpose businesses doing really great things in the world. Um, So Dan Pallotta, who probably many of our listeners have heard of before, spoke about this very thing in a TED Talk a number of years ago now that was called The Way We Do, The Way We Think About Charity is Dead Wrong. And among other things, he says that judging the value or merit of a charity based on their administration costs is crazy. He gives simple and an effective example of two charities that both run soup vans. He says, if you are a supporter and you're wanting to support a soup van, you ask soup van A what their administration costs may be. And they may be 30%, whereas soup soup van B may only be 20%. So you think, okay, well, I'll go and support Soup Van B because they're more effective. But if you don't ask any more questions, you don't get the detail. So there may be great differences in the number of people that these charities are supporting or the number of meals they make every week. So the question just based on um, the cost, effic- cost efficiencies is not enough. I think also... It's our job as fundraisers and as people working in the charity space, especially in small charities, to really educate our supporters and our donors about this important issue. Charities all need to invest money into capacity building, whether that's counted as administration costs or fundraising costs or whatever. We really need to tell our supporters and our networks about what, what you invest in and why, explain to them how this helps your ability to achieve your mission. As Dan Pallotta said, it's time to stop obsessing about overhead and start focusing on progress. Change charity and charity can change the world. It's so true. And I think what's really tricky with this one is, like you said, it's very important for the sector to educate supporters um, and the greater community about the fact that this is a myth. And it's a very old approach and an old way of thinking, I think. But what doesn't help it, and having done PR for a, a, a long time for nonprofits, 
particularly here in Australia, is the mainstream media really perpetuates it. They like to talk about these charity scandals with admin costs um, and they just don't show the bigger picture of the fact that a really effective charity that has a big impact in the community and uses donor funds really ethically and effectively can still have a significant admin cost for that very reason. And it also depends on sector, doesn't it, as well, or um, what part of the community you're in. Yeah, it depends on the type of work you're doing. It depends sometimes on the age of your organisation, if you're a young organisation. It also depends if you've been highly um, volunteer-driven and then uh, for the first time you employ you know, a general manager and have some paid salaries, you, you really need to make that investment so your organisation can grow. But then if you looked at just the costs of it, it does look like your costs will have jumped up a lot. So there's a lot to consider on this and, and I think we really need to get much better at talking to our community members about this. So that's our first myth busted for this episode. Uh, number two myth that we're busting today is one from me, and I have talked about this quite a bit. We've talked about this quite a bit before um, in our resources on the Small Nonprofits Alliance and on the podcast before, but this myth that to be doing really well and reaching a lot of people on social media that you need to be posting either every day or really frequently I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard people say, oh, we need to be posting more or we need, you don't need to be posting more. You need to be spending more time on creating effective content. And the reason for that is that whether your social media platform is Facebook, I know most small nonprofits will have a Facebook page. It's definitely the most popular. It's got the biggest reach, but this applies across Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you are. Um, there needs to be a focus on content. And with some of the changes that have happened recently with Facebook, in particular, some privacy concerns around um, iOS, Apple's iOS operating system on iPhones, the changes to Facebook advertising, organic reach is just dropping further and further. And there's so many stats out at the moment, you could just Google it to have a look. There's um, Hootsuite's done a bit of a report into it recently as well. Um, They're a social media um, sharing platform. Uh, it's really fascinating. So what it means is that unfortunately, small nonprofits are having to work even harder to get engagement. And I can tell you right now that posting links and content and really quick rushed content every single day only hurts your engagement. It doesn't actually help it. So stop and try and take a step back and have a look at things in the bigger picture and spend time even doing one really great Facebook post a week that might be around the best kind of content, which video is the best, um, really real images and content and copy and long video now we're seeing. Using Facebook stories is really good as well um, and also maybe investing a little bit more time in a Facebook group if you have one. They're the, just off the top of my head the really quick ways you can have a really good impact on your social media and, guys, it just isn't posting every day. There's no magic number anymore. So, guys, don't post every day. Don't put yourself through it. Do one or two really good posts a week. Really have a think about what really lines up with the purpose of your nonprofit. How can you really engage in two-way engagement? How can you use video? Um, And how can you use really authentic content, real images of your team, of the people you're helping, real stories, uh, things that relate to what's happening in the world now? That's the way you increase your Facebook engagement your social media engagement, not putting yourself through the ring and posting every day. 
Yeah, I think that's a great that that's a great one, Kirsty, because so many people that I hear all the time are talking about well, let's post more or uh, we're not posting enough and and it's a common thing. So I think those two key points that you made there around video is really great. Um, so investing more time in creating the content. The old saying work smarter, not harder really applies here. There's this, you know, I think um, it's cultural. People think you just have to do more to work harder not the case with social media whatsoever. I'm not saying the content's not hard work. It is hard work getting really good engaging content, particularly video if you're a small nonprofit. But um, have a look at some of the ways that you can utilise really simple video, Facebook stories, Instagram stories, and don't feel the pressure to post every day. So the third myth is around uh, fundraising in regards to the business community being the main source of donations for charities. This is a myth that I hear a lot. Um, often I've heard, um, I've had conversations with people in small charities that might be be told by their board or by their chair um, that they really should be focusing more on business and corporates for funding and, you know, that's where the money is, people often will say. But that, you know, it does make me smile a little bit because I know uh, that that's actually not where all the money is. Australian, our, our Australian business community is really generous and in most part very supportive of charities. So if it does make sense for your small charity to connect with businesses in your local area or in a particular field that makes sense um, and aligns with your mission, there are really so many great things can that can come from those relationships. And money is often only the tip of the iceberg. However, we have now... At the last check that I looked on the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission, we have now almost 59,000 registered charities in Australia. And collectively, they have a combined revenue of over $155 billion. What's interesting, though, is almost half of that money um, comes from the government, whether it's federal, state and local, like councils. And then over a third of that income, so 34% of that $155 billion, is generated through the sales of goods and services for charities. And then donations, which is any type of money through, through philanthropic purposes, is at about $10 billion. So this is only 7% of all charity income. However, in smaller organisations, that split does change a little. The smaller you are, the less likely you'll have um, as much government funding and the more reliant that you probably will be on donations and fundraising. But other reports in the sector that break down that philanthropic dollar further, that $10 billion, indicate that it's about 25% that comes from businesses. Six or 7% comes from trust and foundations. But about half, the vast majority of it, comes from individuals and families or what we might call private donors or individual giving. So I think the important message here for us is don't forget about building relationships with your supporters in lieu of chasing those business dollars. So it's not that you can't chase those business dollars, but don't put that at such a priority for your organisation that you're maintaining those connections and building those relationships with individuals and your supporter base uh, goes by the wayside. That's such a common misconception, isn't it? And how many... Uh, senior managers and 
committees have we worked with over the years together who have had that exact idea, you know, if we're having planning and brainstorming sessions when we're trying to set up a campaign. Uh, but the numbers don't lie there, do they? Half Not at all. That's of all right. of those donations are coming from private donors. So, yeah. and, and, and isn't that liberating for a small nonprofit? Yeah, it is. I think it is really liberating, actually, because you can take the pressure off a little bit. Sure, you want to write a few grants and you want to build some of those relationships with businesses, if that makes sense, like I said, for your for your charity. But building those relationships with people through donor appeals or through regular giving or major giving or whatever it might be, like doing those sorts of things or, or engaging people through, as you just talked about, really um, great social media content. That's what is actually really important. And for smaller charities who have the majority of their income reliant on fundraising and philanthropy, it's really critical. So the fourth and final myth that we're busting today, myth number four, is that you do not need a PR agency or a PR whiz to get media coverage for your small nonprofit. I think this one is such an important one. And I know we've had so much contact with small nonprofits who get really despondent. They've got a great story to tell, um, but they don't have money for consultants that even a really cost-effective agency or PR consultant can be just completely out of the realm of what a small nonprofit can justify spending their very limited resources on. Um, I spent more than 15 years doing PR for nonprofits, um, dealing with the media, and I started my career as a journalist. And it, the landscape has changed a lot over that time. One thing that has always been around but has become more and more popular is citizen journalism for a few reasons. Um, and the whole concept behind that is that ordinary citizens can contribute to journalism. But that's something that has become a real tool for Nonprofits and small organisations and people in the community that really want to have their voices heard. Um, so it's not a new thing, but with a lot of the changes that have happened in the media sector, PR has really changed. Uh, and, you know, there's this conception and the experts will tell you that you need someone who knows media to be contacting journalists and pitching stories. And there are certainly situations where you need that skill. Uh, but you do not need it as a small nonprofit to share your story if you have a really valuable one. Uh, so a perfect example of this is a lot of the ABC, local ABCs, radio and TV, obviously they have combined newsrooms, have emails on their website and at the end of stories where they solicit stories. They want to hear from people in the community. So you as a authorised representative, your small nonprofit, a founder, you know, there are some incredible stories about the good work that small nonprofits are doing at a grassroots level. And and if you can formulate what your story is and make it timely and really unique, then it will be interesting to a journalist. There are a few little tips that you do need to know, and we have some resources on the website, smallnonprofits.com.au, that you can look at to just formulate your pitch email but the thing that's really important is that the journalists actually love not having a PR person in the middle of it. They love talking directly to the source of news um, and that's nothing new. And so with these outlets seeking stories, that's the best way that you can approach someone when you have a story to tell about your organisation, whether it's the story of the innovative work that you're doing. Um, you might have had a really big win. Um, 
You might have some really interesting personal stories to tell about the people that you help in the community. The project, the TV show, is another really high-profile show that asks the community to email in. Now, I, I that's setting the bar very high. I do want to say to people that it's really hard to get coverage and they get inundated with stories, but you just never know. Um, we recently had our partner, Volley, um, they worked really hard to get coverage about the great work that they're doing with online volunteering. So it does happen. So I would just say to you that don't feel discouraged and feel like media coverage is something that you need somebody else to help you with. You can arm yourself with some really basic skills and tips and you can look for those media outlets that solicit stories. And to be honest, they're all doing it these days and contact them and share your story. Um, you do have to have a really well-formed story and, and know some basics about what the journalist is looking for, but they're things that you can learn as well. Mm, I think that's so important because I do hear a lot of organisations really just say, well, we can't afford PR, so let's just not worry about it. And it's just completely put out of like it's just taken off the to-do list completely. So this is a really uh, great misconception to talk about. And um, like you said, Kirsty, some of the resources that we have around those tips and tricks of some of the skills that you can learn in that space to really help your organisation build its profile in the community, whether that's with your local ABC radio or something as fan fantastic as being on the project, as you mentioned. <laughs> So there are four myths that we've busted today. I feel quite good that we've busted those myths. Bianca, what about you? Yeah, I do too. And hopefully, you know, if uh, if you are listening, let us know, you know, give us some feedback around um, your thoughts on and your experience with some of these myths as well. Yes, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at members at smallnonprofits.com.au with any questions that you would like addressed. And we are hoping to make non-profit myth busters more of a regular episode so i'm ready to um put my scientific hat back on and um get out there for another episode <laughs> yeah thanks kirsty it's been a lot of fun <laughs>